podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? I'm feeling like a fourth clean sheet in a row. How are you? I am hoping for a fourth clean sheet in a row. Not feeling it, but hoping for it. Carl, this weekend is the biggest game in English football. It is Liverpool versus Manchester United. I don't care who's going for the title. I don't care about anything else. This and the return fixture are the two biggest games in English football between the two biggest clubs in England, the biggest rivals in England. This is one that really, really matters. Yes, all the time. Um, This is not one which should be anything other than full tilt when it comes to um, line-ups and preparation and gnarliness and full throttle in the game itself, of course, is the most important thing regardless of all the things that go on beforehand. And I feel as though this might be a good time for us. Um, and we, we can get into how good and bad and everything else both sides have been. But right at this moment, just on, on recent matches, on recent results, on recent progress or otherwise, I wonder whether this will be an all right one for us. I can see us really coming out all guns blazing at the start of this match. Yeah, I think so as well. I think so as well. Now, look, United do come into this game in good form and they have recently won a cup and they are progressing in another cup. But I'm not buying either of their cup runs. Their only away games in the League Cup were Nottingham Forest in the semi-final and Newcastle in the final. They played a bad Aston Villa, a championship Burnley, a League One Charlton, a bad Forest... And a Newcastle team that were out of form, we we had just beaten. And in the FA Cup, they beat a garbage Everton, a championship mid-table championship Reading, and a really poor West Ham team. Like, I'm not having that this is some, some titanic surge from them. In the league, I haven't been massively impressed with them in recent weeks. So their last couple of games, now they beat Leicester. Everybody beats Leicester. Before that, they beat Leeds 2-0. And that game could easily have ended 0-0. That game was 0-0 going into the 80th minute and Marcus Rashford saved them. Before that, they played Leeds. They were behind. They came back and managed a 2-2 draw. Before that, they snuck past Crystal Palace. Before that, they got beaten by... Arsenal, and before that they drew with Crystal Palace. So we have seen this team in terms of results in good form, but in terms of performance, 
they're not playing the creme de la creme and they're not exactly blowing teams away. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that that's all right, actually, for, for in terms of a Man United progression. I don't think that they should really be expecting to blow teams away. I think what Ten Hag has really done is firstly make them a lot more solid off the ball than they have been for years and years and years. And secondly, have a, let's say, style of play, a style of build-up and a way of getting forward and a way of giving themselves a chance to win matches. And, you know, it's not perfect. Like, even if you look at the last half dozen games, they've only won three of them in the league. It's not relentless. This isn't like an absolutely fantastic Man United side altogether. But what they've got here is a combination of um, two things, really. One, themselves are unquestionably better. They're progressing because now they have a competent manager. So by that method alone, you're going to take a few steps forward. And secondly, I think that they are benefiting. And I think we've spoken about this already, maybe at the turn of the year, uh, uh, midway um, analysis of the season. I think Man United are benefiting from the rest of the league having a massive, massive drop-off. And yes. that goes for wider Europe as well, to be perfectly honest, which is another podcast, but this is happening everywhere. And I think a lot of the bigger, better sides are having a big, big drop-off when you combine that with a, a change of manager, a couple of decent signings and or players rediscovering their own form. You're getting better at a, a quicker rate, let's say, than other people are getting worse. And that is leading Man United to be in a really good position this this term, to be fair, uh, compared to their own previous seasons. Not a very, very good season by recent seasons standards, because they're not. You know, they're already nine games out of, out of 24 that they haven't won. In a normal yeah. Premier League season over the last few years, that's getting you nowhere at all. No, you're but, fifth or sixth with that. Yeah, but this year, at the minute, that is easily good enough for their own progression and to be much more confident and comfortable looking than a lot of the sides around them. I mean, the fact that Tottenham are still fourth, mm. ugh, they are rubbish, absolute garbage. And we are sixth, and we're even worse than that. So yeah. there's there's really nothing much to say other than United are definitely better. We have to acknowledge that. They will be confident as a result of that. And it's a very, very difficult team to play at the best of time because of the rivalry and everything that goes with it. But they're not infallible. Like, far from it. No, they're not. And I would say if we look at the top six, we have an Arsenal team that I believe are overperforming the level of player that they have. They've got a lot of talented players, but they're a lot of young players. I think they're overperforming. I think City are drastically underperforming. I think United are overperforming. Spurs are underperforming. Newcastle have overperformed, but now we've seen that sort of level off and they are kind of what you thought they might be, which is mid-table sort of form. And then there's us, hugely underperforming. 
what I will give Ten Hag huge credit for, because I think he's gotten too much credit on the season. If I'm being honest, I think he's gotten too much credit. He was brought in to bring a specific style of play and a specific identity to Manchester United. And he hasn't done that. But what I will give him credit for is he realised very, very quickly, this is not going to work doing what I want to do. And he binned it off after two games. They got beaten by Brighton. They got absolutely pulverised by Brentford. Then we gifted them a win, a game in which we were appalling. But they kind of stumbled on something in that game that they then have followed up and pretty much perfected. Which is like, it's like Ollie Ball 2.0 in that they've adopted a very deep defensive line, the deepest in the league, and they are playing to the strengths of the players they have, the key attacking players. Bruno Fernandes, Marcus Rashford, which is to play a high-tempo, counter-attacking game. Now, what Ten Hag has done that was, is much better than what we saw with Oli is there are actual patterns of play. There is an actual structure to how they attack, even in those counters. But more importantly, there's a real structure to how they defend. With Oli, it always felt like it was four defenders doing individual jobs, not necessarily working as a cohesive unit. Under Ten Hag, they're working as a cohesive unit, and it's not just four guys, it's six guys. It's the two who sit in front as well. And this counter-attacking style plays well to the likes of Martinez, because he's a good passer of the ball. Moran, because he's a good passer of the ball. Casemiro because he's one of the best progressors of a football in Europe. It plays well to Shaw and Delo who are good athletes and can get forward in transition but they're not being asked to defend huge open spaces when the opposition have the ball. They're not being asked to defend the halfway line. There isn't big gaps in behind them. So I think he's done well to be pragmatic and move away from the style that kind of made his name at Ajax and go to what is not necessarily the best type of football to watch, but it's certainly been effective for them. But we should point out they have lost five games in the Premier League this season. Like I said, beaten by Brighton, walloped by Brentford, walloped by City, beaten by Villa and beaten by Arsenal. They've also drawn with Newcastle, Chelsea, Crystal Palace and Leeds. And if Chelsea continue to trend the way they are, that's three bottom half teams they'll have dropped points to in that regard. And Villa obviously were a bottom half team when they beat Manchester United. You mentioned transfers and they spent a lot of money in the summer. They brought Malashia in, 15, 16 million, bit of depth at left back, that's fine. Signed Ericsson on the free. I think he was playing quite well till he got hurt. Signed Martinez and we, we can talk about him. Uh, they spent big money on Casemiro. Now, nobody doubted that Casemiro was a great player. Didn't Graham Souness, maybe. The question was, was he the right player for the next five years, which is the contract that they gave him? And I would still say no, because he doesn't fit with the timeline of your Rashfords and Sancho's and Anthony's and players like that who are the future of the club. By the time... Those players and whoever else they bring in 
are ready to challenge for a title, you're probably looking at Casemiro being past the point of being a regular starter in the same way that would say goes for Varane. Uh, they spent enormous money on Anthony. Um, thus far, it hasn't really reaped the rewards. He looks kind of a one-trick pony. But look, it's still very, very early, so leave him at it. I think, though, Carol, the two best transfers that Manchester United have made, not just this year, but since Alex Ferguson left, were allowing Paul Pogba to leave on a free, not worrying about the potential embarrassment of allowing a player that they sunk almost $200 million into in terms of fee, agent fee, signing fee, wages, bonuses, and all the rest. Just getting rid, and getting rid of not just the player, but the personality, the brand, and all the bullshit that came with him. And then in November, I think this is Ten Hag's best move so far. Telling Cristiano to pack his shit and get the fuck out the door. Because that lad had, number one, come in the previous year and made the team considerably worse. And number two, he had tried to undermine Ten Hag at every possible stage. In pre-season, during the season, like refusing to come on as a sub in a game United were winning, an important game at home to Tottenham, a game that should have been, you know, a real marker for this team, eating another top six team. They'd already beaten Arsenal, they'd beaten us. This should have been a big night for Ten Hag. And instead, the post-match discourse was all about him refusing to come off the bench and walking out on his teammates as the game was still going on. And then, obviously, that Fulham game where they went and won, I think it was a Friday night, the big win for them just before the World Cup. And yet, he made it all about himself as that interview with Piers Morgan leaked, or was leaked purposely by Morgan, where he talked about how he'd been disrespected and all of this stuff. And he was creating this enormous circus, which Ten Hag did not want. And Ten Hag went to the owners and said, look, I don't care. Either he goes or I'm going. And he got him out the door. And since he's left, Bruno Fernandes, back at his very best. Marcus Rashford is in the form of his life. And the team looks so much more like a team it's untrue. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, especially with the the Ronaldo one. I mean, Pogba. I mean, like, there's there's been very very little impact. They never really found the right way to use him. Again, I, I would attribute a lot of that to not having um, the managers really being capable, apart from you know, Van Gaal on the way that sort of thing. But by and large, the managers they had were not good enough to be able to get the most out of a player who didn't quite fit in a normal system, let's say. Um, Ronaldo, they never should have signed in the first place. That, that much is painfully obvious. It was even before they uh, decided to, to sign him. But yes, it was, I guess, a power play or attempt at power play from Ronaldo, which obviously did not go well. I think Ten Hag managed it pretty well himself. He never really said too much other than you know, he's part of the squad, he's got to be in the same rules as everyone else and all that kind of thing. He never really had a, a personal go at him. 
And I think basically every time that Ten Hag does well, gets a good result or wins a trophy with United, Ronaldo loses more credibility the longer it goes on because of all the stuff that he did say, which was personal about Ten Hag, that he didn't respect him, bad coaching technique, all the rest of it. Uh, It just increasingly shows, to be honest, that Ronaldo has been left in the past and he has no concept of team, no concept of um, making it about anything else other than himself, which, you know, I play to you if that's what you want from your career, but it's not really what football is about at the elite level. No, no, it's not. And and look, we know that Cristiano himself has always been very much about Cristiano. And when he could do what he did at Real Madrid, it was worth putting up with. It was worth it for his teammates who he enslaved like Benzema to put up with having to do all that donkey work and sacrificing for the greater good because Cristiano would lead you to league titles, Champions Leagues, all the rest. But we can look at a track record from Rooney, Berbatov and Tevez at United through Benzema, Higuain and others at Real Madrid up to Dybala and poor old Higuain again at Juventus and then to the likes of Bruno Fernandes and Rashford and Sancho at Manchester United, the attacking players you put around Cristiano will have career worst years because they have to sacrifice because everything has to be about him. He makes runs that benefit him. Everything he does benefits him, nobody else. Because for him, he seems to believe that if he continues to score goals, that's all people will care about in the team finishing sixth is irrelevant because Cristiano got his goals because he's not going to have anything to hang over Messi other than potentially scoring more goals. And that's going to be his claim, is that he scored more goals than Messi. And you see him off in Saudi Arabia now doing that ridiculous celebration. Like, you're near 40. Settle the fuck down. What are you suing for? You're playing against fellas who are plumbers and teachers in their real jobs and do this as a part-time bit of fun. It's just embarrassing. United, though, are so much better off without him. So much better off without him. It's untrue. And like I said, Rashford is in the form of his life. And that's where I want to go next, Carl. Marcus Rashford is a player I've I've always liked. And I've always thought had something really special about him. And we saw him emerge under Mourinho as an exciting young player. But kind of gets stuck between, you know, is he a left winger, is he a nine? And the truth is, he's kind of both. The ideal role for him is left side of a front three. And he got progressively better through his first four seasons. 11 and 53, 13 and 52, 13 and 47, 22 and 44 in 1920. Then in the pandemic year, 2021... He scores 21 in 57, plays a key role getting them to the Europa League final. His league form suffers, and it's clear he's been overplayed. Goes to the Euros, misses the penalty, comes back, has to have multiple surgeries because he's been playing through injuries. And last season has a disastrous year. And the discourse around him flips from this is one of England's most exciting young players to he needs to shut up about feeding starving children and focus on what's important which is playing football um this season he has bounced back and done it with a vengeance 20 25 goals 
in 39 games. He is arguably the form player in Europe since the World Cup break. He is a one-man attack on to himself, aided and abetted by Bruno Fernandes, but he has been in a league of his own since the World Cup break. Yeah, so, so consistent, and I think that that's the big thing that he has always missed, even in his better spells throughout his earlier career, um, was that consistency in front of goal. And he has been lethal, really, really good with his finishing. All kinds of goals as well, um, you know, solo ones and running from outside the box and late on in matches and close-range poaching goals and rebounds and all sorts of things. And that's uh, obviously a sign of, of confidence that he's got at the moment, but also in the way that Ten Hag and the coaches have sort of harnessed that build-up play that we spoke about, the patterns of play to get these players in those areas. I mean, it's not... Rashford's obviously the one who is, you know, out on his own at the moment, but I would even say that, like, Fernandes, like you said, has been a lot better in terms of his build-up involvement um, in the second part of the season so far mm. compared to the first half of the season when I thought he was quite poor in a lot of games, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Bypassed a lot. Um, even now, when he's moved out to the right-hand side, when they change things around a little bit, um, sometimes they've dropped Veghorst uh, into the 10. It was Christian Eriksen played there a couple of times when before he got injured, and Fernandes would go on to the right-hand side. And even there, he was still really impactful in terms of the build-up play, a really good conduit, able to come narrow, did the bits of defensive work that he needed to do. I think, um, in general, they're getting better people into better areas with a lot more regularity. And the other thing is that they... Uh, today, I should say, Ten Hag is is able to do is use Fred as the type of player he is, and that has made such a big difference to United. He's not an every single minute player or an even every single match starter, but when he plays, more often than not, it's the role that he's actually been created to do. Basically, it's the role that he he played more often: ability to drive from deep, carry the ball from one half of the pitch to the other to join up with the attack and, and play either the final pass or get himself into dangerous areas. You know, he's never going to be a 15 goals or anything like that because he's not got the technical ability in his shooting. But to be in the dangerous areas, he's always going to be creating havoc or the chance of getting a, a goal off a pullback or a rebound or anything like that. And that allied with his defensive tenacity, obviously, that he has, it does make him a really, really important squad player for them. And I think that that's... The biggest and best thing that Ten Hag and the, the coaching group there have done this season it is getting people playing the way that they should, playing to their strengths, basically. Yeah, into it, square pegs and square holes. Yeah, basically that. Like you said, that, that that does sort of lead back to he's sort of accepted he can't just put his team in in one phase. It's going to be a you know a gradual probably buy a couple of players along the way who have to replace people who might even be doing well now, but then they play a little bit closer to how and where he wants to eventually. But right now, he's getting people doing good jobs. When we look at Bruno Fernandes as an example, this season, he had two goals and two assists going into the World Cup break. Now, this is a guy who was basically 20 and 15 on average for four years until Cristiano arrived. And he had a down year last year. Still went 10, 10 and 14. So was still productive, but was a, a clear level or, or three below what he had been. World Cup break. He's got five goals and eight, five goals and eight assists since the World Cup break. Like, that's the Bruno Fernandes United bought. That's the guy who put them on his back when he first arrived and carried them for 18 months until the other fella turned up. 
And if they can get him playing at that level, with Casemiro playing at the level he has been, all you need is that other midfielder to be a connector, to fill in the gaps. And that's kind of where Fred works. Going forward, he's good at off-ball runs, being that extra man, finding a little pocket of space, getting on the end of something. Like you said, the shooting technique comes and goes, so sometimes he scores and sometimes he puts the ball 15 rows into the stands. Defensively, he's always had a really good understanding with Casemiro, where he just buzzes around Casemiro and takes his position based off of where Cass is. And that's part of the reason why they've been quite a successful duo for Brazil. And maybe one of the reasons Brazil underperformed at the World Cup was because they went away from that duo at times. But, but he's playing a good role. Ericsson was playing well. We've seen Sancho come back into the fold after being away for, for personal reasons. And I really like the way Ten Hag has used Sancho in connection with Fernandes. In a couple of games, we've seen Fernandes be the one to play on the right and Sancho almost play as a 10 or a second striker and be able to swap roles with Rashford so Rashford can come central and Sancho can move left. And we talked about it when when United signed Sancho. One of the things Sancho needed when he was at Dortmund was a pacey attack-minded winger that he could interplay with. And United don't have them. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. In, in Rashford, when Sancho plays that 10 role, he can get a similar type of build-up going between them. And I think we've seen a much better Sancho in recent weeks. He's taken Anthony out of the firing line, brought him back in and fits and starts. He's getting a bit more out of him. I think the emergence of Garnacho has been a huge win for everybody at the club because he looks an outstanding prospect. Martial, in and out of the team with injuries, but we've seen him have some promising performances across the course of the season. Not many, admittedly, but there have been a couple of at least contributions. And the problem United had under Oli was there was too many passengers and not enough contributors. And now... Because of how well he's managing the squad, he is getting contributions from most players. Like, there's been a couple of games where he's brought McTominay in from the cold, and he's gotten a reaction out of him. Like, well, I haven't played in a month. I better make an impression. And he does okay. Like, it might not be a an 8 out of 10 game, but it's a solid 6.5. And, and sometimes that's all you need. Dan Kennett calls them the piano carriers. 
that's what McTominay should be. A piano carrier. Same as Fred. Um, I do think there are some weaknesses in this team, though, Carl. I do. And I, I do think they're a little soft defensively. I'm not sold on this back line. They have had a decent season. But I'm not sold at all. I think they can be got at. I think this can especially be got at in the air. Uh, Martinez has received a, a lot of praise. But it's worth pointing out, this guy wins 1.48 aerials per game, which is in the 18th percentile, which is horrendous. He loses 1.13, which is in the 66th percentile, which is quite high. His win percentage is on is 56.7, which is in the 30th percentile, which is dreadful. But he's only competing for less than three a game on average. And that's bolstered by some of what he did in the um, in Europe and a couple of games in the Premier League. Like one against Southampton, he won five aerials against Che Adams, who's the same height as him. He has multiple games this season. In fact, he's probably got 10 plus games this season where he doesn't compete for a single aerial duel. And there's a reason for that. It's because it's a big weakness in his game. So while people have decided to dunk on Carragher for saying, well, he's going to struggle because he can't win the aerials, he hasn't won the aerials. He's dreadful in the air. He just avoids them and tries to win those second balls. But the more teams get used to seeing that and the more teams start to pick on that and the more he comes up against Ollie Watkins and Ivan Tony and Darwin Nunes and people like that, the more that's going to get exposed. We've seen in recent weeks against bigger centre forwards, he sat on the bench and Luke Shaw is playing centre back. So I think there's been a big rush to pronounce him as one of the best centre backs in the league. I don't think he's anywhere close. I think he's been quite good, but I think there's big flaws in his game and you know, when we're talking about the best centre-backs in the league, he's not even the best left-sided centre-back that came into the league in the summer because Sven Botman has been significantly better. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is uh, an element of judging players who come in against the player that they're replacing. And obviously, in Martinez's case, that's Harry Maguire, who's uh, going through a very, very difficult period with um, his, his club form, let's say, at the moment. Um, and by that measure, sure, he's he's done pretty well. He's been better. He's been more consistent. He's very aggressive. Um, I think he's very easily a fan favourite because of that same aggression as well. You only need to win like a couple of big challenges and maybe one recovery tackle, that kind of thing. And you quickly get a reputation which can last for quite a while, even if you don't do the same sort of thing. Um, add in like a couple of goals that he scored, which have been quite important. Uh, and the fact that, you know, he is fairly quick, like I say, good recoveries, all that kind of stuff is important to the way that they play, but that doesn't mean that he can do everything very, very well. I remember last time we were going to go uh, and play United, I was like really looking forward to seeing Darwin go right up against him and see how he coped. And then that was when Darwin got sent off and he was suspended for that match. So it was a case of, uh, you know, I'm not going to see that in the end anyway. I don't think that we're still going to see him against him now, because even if Darwin does play, it appears that he's out on the left-hand side, uh, certainly to start matches. And then, and we'll see how things go during the game, but it's been quite a while since Darwin's played as a nine, so 
not really expecting that we will see those two go up against each other in the end anyway. Um, I mean, I think I think Lissandro's done fine. Like he's done quite well. I just don't think that he's, like I say, able to do absolutely everything. You have to, like I always say, you have to partner centre backs with people who can complement each other. And if you're going to come, if you're going to play Lissandro, you need someone who's dominant. You need someone who's um, capable of dropping a little bit deeper because he's a front foot forward kind of defender. He'll step out onto the line. He'll go a little bit wider in the channels and that kind of thing. And so I think Varane's a good partner for him, but Varane's also responsible, therefore, for winning loads of aerial battles. Anything that goes long and central, you're going to see Lissandra drop off and Varane go for it unless he's absolutely forced into it. So it's fine if you can if you can manage those situations between the two of them, and obviously the more games they play together, the better chance and the better understanding you've got of that. But longer term, if you just want to have a pairing which is going to be dominant against all kinds of forwards and all kinds of play, obviously, ideally, you're going to want someone who can do all the ground stuff and the aerials as well. Yeah, and it'll be a big test next season when I assume they will stop playing the deepest defensive line in the league and start to transition more towards the style of football that Ten Hag is known for, which is to play a higher defensive line, which obviously Martinez has experience in, having played under um, Ten Hag at at Ajax, but it's a very different thing to do it in the Eredivisie than to do it in the Premier League. Like, there's killers in the Premier League. You will get absolutely torn apart in the Premier League if your high line is not spot on. In the Eredivisie, you can let someone run through on goal, and it's a 50-50 whether they'll get a shot off or fall on their face. Um, you mentioned uh, Varane in the air, 74.2% win percentage this year, which is, is fairly spectacular. Now, again, he's not competing for a huge amount, uh, only 2.7 per game, but I think that speaks more to the, the fact that teams haven't yet fully targeted United in the air, um, which I think we will see more and more of as teams get more used to them and probably next season. We often see players come in, do well for a year, and then the second year, everybody's figured out, well, maybe that's something we should look at and things get things get changed. Um, let's talk about us then. Uh, Liverpool come into the game having won three of our last four. Ten points from a possible twelve. We've now won as many games as we've lost since the World Cup break, which is nice. Um, Four clean sheets in a row. I thought against Wolves, Carl, we had uh, a largely good performance. I thought defensively, bar a few little moments that were of our own making, we were strong. Both fullbacks were involved in the build-up play. Uh, The midfield that you you said would be too lightweight uh, to play against Mario Lamina was very good, functioned well everybody did their work, everybody put in a shift and uh, I thought that was the basis of of a solid 2-0 win that defensive structure and that that work ethic and that attitude and that energy Did everyone else hear the absolute poison in his voice there as as he blamed me for yet another team selection? You said, <laughs> oh, that's the midfield I picked. Yeah. I said Harvey, Fab and Stefan. And you said on this podcast, and people, Guy can run it back in the in the recording. You said, Let me that's too lightweight. James Milner should play. 
Uh, I didn't say James Milner should play. I said I think James <laughs> Milner's in the team. I did think that Lamina would monster them. And to be fair, in the opening stages, he won a good couple of challenges and then got himself injured. So I'm not taking complete uh, uh, wrong answer out of my, my uh, assessment of that. However, I think that they were excellent as a pairing who have never played together. I assumed you discussed Fabinho on Raw, which I was supposed to be on. Apologies, I was not in the end. But um, much improved, can we say? Certainly in the first half. I thought his best performance since the City home game in the league. Yeah, Yeah. and the big difference between the City home game and this one was that he was actually doing it in the other half of the pitch as well, not just in front Mm. of the centre-backs. Yeah, uh, pressing on the edge of their box, winning the ball back. If his passing had just been just a little bit better, he probably has two assists last night. Yeah, Um, I mean, I think it was, you know, there, there were a few... Gaps, let's say, in the midfield, which you're going to get when three people haven't played together and two of them are teenagers who don't have like 20 starts between them in the league or whatever. But overall, that was much better, much, much better. I think the progressions were a lot better in midfield. I think from the midfield to the forward line in general was better. I don't think the forward line played well as a unit. I you know, barely remember too many occasions where they actually passed to each other, created a chance with each other. Most of it came from either the fullbacks or Harvey Elliott, for example, getting involved. Asetic, I thought, played actually pretty maturely after he got that yellow card. Um, there are a couple of situations where you could see he really wanted to dive in and made himself not in the end. Um, so I think that there was there was promise there with that three in particular. Um, overall, I think we played well. I think we defended pretty well. I think we were helped by Wolves being pretty stodgy, to be fair. But you know, four clean sheets. Five out of the last six league games, I think, other than that Wolves one where they tonked us um, back at Molyneux. I think that's clean sheets all the way recently in the league. So that is something to build on, even if we have been riding our luck a bit on some of those clean sheets, even if you know that was more to do with either Fortune or them missing chances than us actually keeping the clean sheets. It's still something yeah. that you build on. Um, and the other thing that I did, let's say, pick up was... Um, after, obviously, the, the Everton win, the Newcastle win, things were looking up a bit. It was a couple of routine victories and not great victories, but the crowd was, like, bouncing before the Real Madrid match. Really, really up for it and all the UEFA stuff as well. And then it was gone, just on the back of one defeat. And then at Anfield again against Wolves, I thought it was, again, very, very flat. And it was, like, a little bit worrying that we sometimes talk about, like, the confidence or the... You know, the self-belief of the players disappears after one bad result. And it felt that way a bit about the, the atmosphere um, in the ground as well. Just, you know, one defeat and that was against Real Madrid and then a draw with Crystal Palace and somehow we were all really flat again. But then after the two goals went in, we had 20 minutes of quite noisy behaviour. So I wonder whether that is again going to spark us into action with the fact that it's Man United and at Anfield again and all the rest of it. So hopefully that returns because I think that that makes probably quite a big difference we saw the the start against Real Madrid for example when it was noisy and when it was electric and everything uh, feeds off that energy so hopefully we can A replicate that against Man United and B this time not concede five after scoring twice yeah <laughs> yeah that would be good that would be good and I, I do agree with you I think, I think the crowd kind of grew into it last night but very much so in the first half um it was it was very flat, and even even Stephen Warnock, who gave one of the worst performances I've ever heard on commentary last night, even he managed to realise that the crowd were a bit flat first half, and then really grew into it as as the Reds grew into it. Um, 
I, I thought Fabinho last night, you, you highlighted Fab, and I, I thought he was really good. I thought he looked far more comfortable. I think having two players to his sides who were, A, willing to pull their own weight defensively, uh, and B, happy to receive the ball in different circumstances and progress play uh, were big factors for Fabinho. Um, That's the reason, Carl, that I would start that same midfield against Manchester United. I I think that is the midfield we need to be starting until Thiago comes back. And then I think you bring Thiago in for Harvey. Thiago, Fab, uh, Besetic. I think that's a midfield that can get us over the line between now and the end of the season. I think the back four that played last night warrants keeping in. I understand Andy Robertson will probably come in and don't really have a big problem with it because, I mean, Robbo's been okay. He hasn't been good, but he's been all right. I think Costas offers more going forward. I think Robbo's a better defender. I do think Costas has better decision-making going forward. So you kind of, you gain something defensively and lose a little bit going forward. Though we know that Robbo on form can deliver. So, you know, I'm not massively pushed in terms of the left back. I think the other three are so important. Like Trent last night, far more confident, far more himself, not furious with the world, had options to play the ball too short and long. And I think that makes him happy. I think Ibu helps everybody. I think he makes Virgil more confident, knowing he can trust the fellow next to him. I think he makes Trent more confident, knowing he's got that help. And we saw Ibu carrying the ball forward last night a couple of times. We saw Virgil overlapping down the left wing, which we haven't seen in a couple of years, and it was just a wonderful sight. Um, so overall, I, I, you know, whatever with the left back, I, I think the other three are, are absolute musts. What would you do in midfield? And then the horrible question, what do you think Jürgen will do in midfield? <laughs> I think we all know what Jürgen's going to do in midfield, don't we? There's absolutely no basis to do it. There's not. There's no basis. And there hasn't been a basis, Carl, for three years. And it still keeps happening, so we know what And it still do, keeps right? happening. So we know what's going to happen. Now, he did show some bottle in, what, four games in a row we left him out of? Yeah. Had him on the bench. And he stanked the place out against Real Madrid. He stanked the place out against Crystal Palace. And I do wonder if Jurgen thought, "Well, take him out, put him back in." And then he, you know, he was he was okay against Everton. He wasn't good against Newcastle, and then he was awful in in the other two. I do wonder if Jurgen maybe thought, "Well, let's see how he is off a bit of rest." Because remember, Henderson said his form had suffered because of the World Cup, as if he hadn't been awful before the World Cup and all of last season. So maybe Jürgen just gave him a little bit of rope. Well, you said you were tired, so here's some rest. And he's been awful again. So maybe, maybe he sticks with what was good last night, with what worked last night. And, you know, the fact that he brought Stefan off when the game was kind of won and brought Henderson on, maybe that is a nod to this kid is starting again. And look, the right-sided role has been has been an issue. Neither of the options there, Henderson or Harvey, are, are good options, but Harvey gives you two things that Henderson doesn't give you. He's good in the ball and he tries. He runs. He works. 
He doesn't really know what it is he's doing defensively, but he's going to try and do it. Whereas with Henderson, he just doesn't try anymore. Passes stuff off to others and has done this for a couple of years now. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. There's, there's no argument to be made. There's no actual footballing argument to be made that Jordan Henderson should start this game. No. That's the only thing that stops me thinking we keep the same 11 is uh, Harvey Elliott last time he started centre mid, I think was the New Year's Day game when we played Brentford and got hammered. Mm. And he hasn't started centre mid since then. Or I don't think it was New Year's Day, I think it was the day after that or whatever, but the first game of the year anyway. Um, yeah, I know he played. He started Chelsea on the wing, but other than that, yeah. he hasn't started in centre mid. And I think that that Brentford game was the one he went off at half time, wasn't it? So one game played well, but he played the full game. And again, that makes me wonder whether he is going to leave him in just a few days later to play a second game from the start. Um, I I would because I think he earned the the right to with the performance mm. and not just his own performance but with the the unit's performance but i have my doubts the only change i would make the only change is i would bring cody gakbo in for diogo jota that's the only change I'm, i would make how did you think jota played i thought he tried really hard and i thought he was really poor i thought he looked like a fella who hadn't played a whole lot of football in quite a while. And his touch is not there. His instincts don't seem to be there. He just looks like a guy who's really, really rusty and a little bit unsure of himself. Hmm. And I don't think it was helped by the fact that he almost had his leg broken by Craig Dawson yeah, that was not in good. what was a horrendous tackle that Stephen Warnock claimed was a perfect tackle. He took Diogo clean out before he touched the ball. His right foot went over the ball and took Diogo and his left foot got the ball. And I thought that kind of knocked Diogo again. Now, look, he played a big role in the disallowed goal. But again, as he drove at them, his touch just deserted him. I really liked what we saw from with the second goal. The instinct... And the awareness that I can't score from here. I'm going to put it right across the goal. Against Palace, if you remember, it was that cross to the back post. 
And it was begging for him to head it back across goal, and he tried to score, and there was no possibility he could score. I thought that was really good, but I didn't think he played well. No, I, I thought he was quite poor in, in terms of what we actually needed from him on the ball. But off the ball, I was quite happy with what we saw. Yep, fair enough. I think that's right. I think there was a enough of the... Um, I, th- I think there was a step forward in terms of his energy and athleticism and turning circle and that kind of thing. So maybe that's just the extra minutes that he's getting at the minute. And if so, then maybe we're just one game closer to him being... You know, looking like his old self, or at least a footballer again, but um, technically not there yet. Yeah, and that's why I'd start Gakpo because you mentioned the front three; they weren't quite in in lockstep together. And I think Gakpo brings Mo and Darwin a bit closer together, and can be that link, as we saw it with the second goal, as he dropped off, took the ball from Costas, gave it back to him around the corner, and set Costas in on goal. Um, to feed Mo for the second, I think I think Gakpo is the one change I would make. Now I can understand certainly if Robbo comes in, because while I thought Costas played well, it wasn't like it was a nine out of ten performance that demands he stays in the team. But I did think second half, you know, he he put a damn Traore in his pocket and offered quite a bit going forward. Um, having had I thought a solid first half. Uh, you know, he sent Sarabia for an early shower. And I think if if the game had had much longer to go, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if Adama got the heave-ho as well. You know, if he hadn't come on as a sub at half-time, he'd have been off. So you can only ask that of a fella. You go up against two wingers, you turn both of them into non-factors. I think round of applause for Costas, but I would understand if Robertson came back in. Yeah, I think he will as well. I think... Partly the obviously the number of games and some from Virgil has alluded to recently as well, of course, um, playing or oh, sorry overplaying in certain situations. Trent obviously coming off against uh, I can't remember was it Palace he came off against or Newcastle or whoever it was. Palace, yeah, yeah. And Jurgen said that it's just to do with manager minutes. So a bit of a game off for him, a game off for Robbo. I would expect them both back into the weekend. Um. Right. So. Predictions, Carl? So I've been asked in the comments to do uh, a 5-0 prediction, but considering that got me banned for three weeks last time from making predictions, yeah. I'm not going to do, do that. No. no, no, don't do that. I think we're going to beat them. I do as well. I'm I do as well. I, I watched them against West Ham, Carl. Yeah. And I've watched most of their recent games, and, and they do really look a beatable team. They're they're very good on the counter. Very good on the counter. And that's something we'll have to be aware of. But no other team in the league can boast a duo like Ibu and Virgil in terms of pace, power, dominance. So I'm I'm okay with us against the counter-attack in that regard. And I think if we have Fab and, and Stefan there, we have that, that double shield in front of them who both have the willingness to you know commit that cynical foul if need be um so i think we can mitigate their counter rashford does worry me because he's in great form but if we've got ibu behind trent i think that's that's pretty strong they're good on set pieces now that's an area that does worry me because we've been dreadful at defending set pieces in recent months um but i do think we beat them 
they they seem to be a threat from set pieces. They don't score very many from them. They're actually one of the lowest in the league this season for goals off set plays. Um, but I, it has I, it has ticked up, I think, in the last six weeks or so. Yeah, I, I think in the last be, six weeks they're doing quite well in that regard. I, I I would be more worried, like you say, the counter threat. I'd be more worried off our corners than theirs, if that makes sense, mm. um, because we still have looked haphazard and ragged and all the rest of it um, when we're defending against very fast runners. And if they've got Sancho and Rashford playing, for example, I reckon they'll probably get a few openings against us, um, regardless of which midfield we play, because it's it's not perfect at the minute. And Wolves didn't have too many runners. And even when we were better than them and the midfield was pretty good, I mean, even, was it first or second half, Matthias Nunez just decided to turn his way past like seven of our players <laughs> in the zone. And nobody <laughs> yeah. could do anything about it. And then there was a massive gap. I mean, things like this... It's got to stop, like you know, yeah. a better a better team or a couple of better runners off the ball for Wolves, and that's like a three on three situation easily. So, still bits to improve, but yeah, I'm going to go for that big start doing the job for Liverpool. I'll go for a couple of goals for us, and then probably they score one later on, two one. I'll go three one, and I think like you, I think we'll get a big start. I think the crowd is going to be bouncing. I think the players are going to be confident. Now, I will. Couch that by saying 3-1 if it's the same midfield, the same defence or the defence with Robbo. If somebody else comes in, then all bets are off because yeah. you just if, need to look if, at the two Ibu goals United play, got. Basically. If Ibu isn't fit to play, we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, we're in big trouble. If the midfield changes, I think we're in big trouble. I think those are the two key things. Ibu has to start and the midfield has to stay the same because the two goals we conceded at Old Trafford, both came from, number one, Henderson's lack of technical ability on the first goal, for no reason at all, under no pressure, on the edge of their box, he hoofs the ball up in the air. For the second, he miscontrols a simple ball in the middle of the park. And then his unwillingness to commit a foul for the good of the team. He should have fouled Sancho 70 yards from our goal for the first one. He should have committed a foul on the halfway line for the second one. He did neither, and that's how we conceded two goals. Now, other things happened after the hoof and the, the unwillingness to foul Sancho on the first, but that's where that goal came from. Um, if we have Harvey and Stefan and Ibu, I'm confident we win. So I'll say 3-1 if that's the team. A draw if it's not. A draw if it's not. Last time United conceded three goals? Let's see. Last time United conceded three goals. Last time they lost, Arsenal. Arsenal, yeah. Arsenal scored three against them. And Arsenal weren't particularly good on the day. They were better than United. They were clearly the better team. But Arsenal got put three past them. Villa put three past them. Villa can't score goals at all. Uh, City put six past them. Brentford put four past them. Molly says Jordan Henderson cannot start. If you listen. Yeah, no, she's outraged. She's outraged at the idea that he should start. So we're going to say he doesn't start and we win 3-1. Have you anything you'd like to plug before we go? Uh, No. Perfect. That will do us then. Thank you as always for listening, folks. We will see you. Well, they'll see you next time. I'll be back the time after that. Bye-bye. 
We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.